This is the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information on Emmanuel, check us out online at kenosha.church. We continue in the Holy Spirit series. This week, we continue our discussion on spiritual gifts, specifically how we are to eagerly pursue and use them in the church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Kenosha Church, and I want to say good morning to everybody that's online at kenosha.church, our various online platforms. In fact, church in person, let's just give a big shout out and a hoop and a holler to those that are online joining us today. Yeah, one, two, three, go. Yes. Hello. We're so happy that you're online, and I was able to, some of you are like, where were you those first few songs? I was able to jump online and spend some time with those online, and uh, you know, uh, a number of people have joined us for the first time. They haven't been in person yet. Some of some people are online as well, waiting to come back in person. And so we're saving you guys a seat. We cannot wait for you to be back, but we think of you often online. And so uh, you can give a shout out from your living room. Did you guys hear that? Did you give them shout outs around Kenosha? I heard it. All right. So anyway, we are in week five of the Holy Spirit series in our second portion of how to use the spiritual gifts. Last week was important. If you missed it, go to Kenosha.Church or on our app and listen to that uh, message from last week. You will be able to pick up where we're at this week, uh, but last week we'll fill in some of those gaps that we're not going to talk about. So these two really complement each other. We will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 this morning, um, and we'll be some passages around that as well too, so you want to make sure that you're there in your physical Bibles or your app. If you are a guest, as Tom said, you're a VIP, it's on the screen for you, but if you're here each and every week or you're newish, get into the Word of God, take notes on your phone, and, and okay, because listen, here's the deal. If you don't take notes, will you remember it? Come on now, I said it's every week. Will you remember it? No, right? Anyway, all right. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Let's read it, and then we're going to unpack it. First Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. All right? Notice the, words, the word desire. Some of your translations may say eagerly desire, eagerly pursue. Uh, but what we see here, it's a word that could be translated zeal. Be zealous. It's not a passive word. It's an active word. It's an intentional word. Be zealous. Eagerly pursue spiritual gifts. So what does that look like? What does an eager pursuit look like? Well, it's focused. Uh, it's intentional. And it's often awkward and messy. Now, when I think of an eager pursuit, I think of when I eagerly pursued my wife, Allison. Now, I know some of these bits of the story, you're like, oh, I've heard these before, but I just can't help myself. But I'm going to give you the extended cut today. Because listen, an extended pursuit, uh, in a pursuit of my wife, it was focused uh, it was at times awkward and at times very messy. So Alice and I, we first met uh, when we were in a dining room, all right? I saw her from across the dining room. She saw me, our eyes met, and I thought, wow, she's, she looks awesome, right? And she looked at me, and I didn't know this until we were married, but she thought, wow, what if I married that guy? <laughs> wow, I'm glad you didn't tell me that because that would have freaked me out, all right? But uh, anyway, and I, and I knew that Allison captured my attention because I was in line getting a stack 
of cookies. And for those of you who know chocolate chip cookies and me, it's almost sin, all right? So, but I locked eyes with Alice. I'm like, whoa, and I couldn't get her out of my mind. But for me, I was kind of like, ah, I don't know. I don't want to be that creep, right? So for the next two years, I would open up our, uh, we, we had a, a physical uh, uh, a Facebook at the time. It was like a book. It was a book with, the, with, the, with the, everybody's faces and then their room numbers and their emails and things like that. And so I would ask people for the next two years in our, not digital, but our actual book Facebook, I'd say, hey, um, does anybody know who this girl is? And people are like, nah, not really. Oh, I think she might be my one of my early ed classes. I'm like, oh, really? And, and the thing is, is that's, that's as far as my pursuit went. It wasn't really intentional. It wasn't really taking a risk. Uh, it was just kind of wondering, okay, who is this person? Maybe I'll hit a jackpot and somebody really knows them. They can introduce me. But finally, after two years, I was like, you know what? I've had enough of this. There was a thing called Facebook that was invented by this time, all right? And Facebook was, at this time, it was only for your college campuses. It wasn't for, like, you could speak to people in other college campuses, and high schoolers weren't even allowed on it at the time, right? And so it was just a college thing. And so I, I saw Allison on the Facebook. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to poke her, all right? And so I poked Allison on, on the Facebook, and I thought immediately, like, that was awkward. That was creepish. What do I do? So I immediately had to write her a message. I'm like, hey, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, blah, blah, you know. And we went on and exchanged messages back and forth. And after the, uh, about three or four messages, I realized, whoa, she's still talking to me. All right. And so it went back and forth and realized, okay, if I'm in this pursuit now on Facebook, why don't, why don't I ask her to coffee in real life? And so I asked her to coffee in real life at the Starbucks. And this is usually where the story ends. Uh, for those of you that have heard this story, you know that we went to the Starbucks and Deerfield, Illinois, and I sat and I talked to her for three hours, and she looked at me and smiled and nodded her head for three hours, and when we got done with the three-hour date and I got in my car, I was like, oh, I'm so dumb. I talked for three hours. I don't know anything about her, right? I thought that was it, but she gave me a second date, and oh, this second date was going to be awesome. We went to the TGI Fridays, all right? TJ Fridays, and I don't even know what I ordered, but all I know is I was nervous. I was a sweaty mess. And by the time I dropped her off, I'm like, do I walk her to the door? All right. These are the, by the way, uh, girls, this is what goes through guys' minds. We don't know what to do. Okay. And so I'm like, do I walk her to the door? And I know in Gurney, they don't have street lights. So they must be on a budget cut or something, but there's not street lights. And when I grew up in Iowa, there were street lights everywhere. And I'm like, this is a dark road. Do I get out and walk her to the door? Is she going to think I'm a creeper or something? Something like that, and I and I hesitated. I'm like, all right, well, have a good night. And she walked to the door by herself. And as I was driving away, I'm like, oh, I did it again. And I literally, I'm slamming my hand on the steering wheel. I'm like, I'm so dumb. And so I did what? Listen, I don't know if you're supposed to do this or not. I called her and I said, hey, Allison, yeah, hey, you know, we just went on our date. You know, this is the end. Yeah, I'm really sorry I didn't walk you to the door, right? She goes, oh, it's okay, guys. When girls say it's okay, it's not okay, all right? But she continued to give me dates, and eventually I won her heart, and we're married. And I know sometimes they're like, was that a good idea? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and the thing is that she puts up with me, and I just love it, and she brings out the best in me. And I'll tell you that that pursuit was awkward at times. For me, it was messy, but it was worth it. But it took focus and it took risk. Let me tell you this. One more thing. It took the leading of the Lord. 
You see, you can take a focused risk and it not be something of the Lord. But what we see here this morning in scripture is that we're to eagerly pursue. And if you're gonna eagerly pursue something, it's gonna take focus, it's gonna be awkward, it's gonna take risk, and sometimes it's gonna be absolutely messy. And so this morning, we are told to eagerly pursue the gifts of the Spirit. And there's going to be missteps. It's going to be awkward, but there's going to be an awesome payoff. Because if you are pursuing something that the Lord wants you to pursue, and you continue in it, I want you to know there's going to be lasting heavenly reward. So Paul is telling us, as a church, we need to eagerly desire God and this passage of spiritual gifts. And it's going to be awkward. It's going to be messy. We're going to make mistakes, but there's going to be a big payoff. So the main idea that we have this morning is this. We are to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Now, this is important. I'm like, well, that's kind of a, a simple main point. But listen, I want it to be drilled in our heads. Because oftentimes we think that spiritual gifts just come to us and they just naturally function out of us. Now, that's a natural ability, all right? We don't want the church to just walk in natural abilities. We want the church to walk in the spiritual availability of the spiritual gifts that he's bestowed on each person that's placed their faith and trust in Jesus. So we are to eagerly pursue the gifts. And as we eagerly pursue these gifts, I want us to look at three things. That love is required, ministry is the point, and there's a method to the madness. So as we unpack this pursuit, love, love is required, ministry is the point, and there's going to be a method to the madness. Let's review real quick before we dive into that. What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift, as I said last week, is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church to encourage them to live by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the truth of the Scriptures. Ironically, the Corinthian church, which was known for their spiritual gifts, uh, they were putting on conferences on how to flow in the Holy Spirit. Uh, in fact, Paul said to them, you are not lacking in one spiritual gift. You have them all and in abundance. But they were not walking in their giftedness within the truth of Scripture. In fact, their meetings had descended into chaos. People were getting drunk at communion. There were divisions. People were following Paul. Another person's like, I don't like when Paul preaches. I like when Apollos preaches. And then there were the super spiritual people in the Corinthian church. They're like, well, we just like Jesus, right? You know, just, just throw the Jesus card out of there. Jesus, right? It always makes you sound spiritual, right? You can have a donut today? No, I just have Jesus, all right? Like, it, just try it, anything. It makes you sound spiritual. But listen, here's the deal. It can be really shallow if you're just using it to make yourself look good we're to eagerly to pursue the gifts and 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 that's indeed what paul is telling the corinthian church but they had big problems and he's here to correct these problems and that's what we're going to peer into this morning we're going to peer into the necessity of the gifts but how to correct the errors that were being experienced in the corinthian church in fact listen here's the deal when reading the book of first corinthians it is easy to think you know what um i'm just going to avoid the holy spirit altogether look at the chaos that happened in, in the corinth church it's just better if we avoid the things of the spirit so we can live in peace and unity but listen paul is going to very explicitly instruct us do not avoid the holy spirit but we need to pursue the spirit in context of truth so back to first corinthians 14 1 pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We are to eagerly pursue the gifts. So let's talk about what is required. Love is required. Notice this in verse 14. We have two present imperatives. We are to pursue love and we're to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. A present imperative means this. It is a requirement. It's an expectation from God 
forever until he comes back, right? And then some in heaven, because obviously we're going to love in heaven. So we have two imperatives, to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. If we're going to desire the spiritual gifts, we have to do it in the context of the love of God and the love of his church, his people. We cannot be useful in our spiritual gifting if we do not have love. In fact, uh, when he says pursue love in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, it's literally a capstone to an entire chapter on love, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, let's go back there. From your Bibles, flip back there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. In speaking to the people who are operating in the giftedness in the church of Corinth without love, he has to go back to square one and say, you know what, you need to learn a little bit about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, and if I have all faith so I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and I give over my body in order to boast, I do not have love, I gain nothing. There is no gain in the giftedness if there is no love. And the major problem in the Corinth church is they were eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts, but they were not pursuing them in the love of God. And Paul is saying is this, he's like, okay, I really want to demonstrate this because you guys are trying to one-up each other in your giftings. Like, hey, you know, I'm doing this. Oh yeah, I'm doing this. Here's the deal. If you speak in tongues, even the angelic language, but you have not love, you may think that you've really arrived, but you are just making noise. Noise like a clanging cymbal. If you don't have love and yet you're prophesying and you, and you know all the mysteries of the Bible, but you do not have love, you may think you're something, but I love what scripture says, you are nothing. And if you have faith to move mountains, listen, Jesus said, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can move the mountains. Boy, I would love that. Sometimes I look around Wisconsin and it's just too flat around here, right? I would just like, I want to have faith to move just a couple of those 14ers in Colorado. They have enough of them. Move them over here, just plop them down next to Lake Michigan. We'll have paradise. Jesus said it only takes the faith of a mustard seed. And Paul's saying, okay, you know what? For those of you that have moved mountains, I don't know anybody who has, but listen, if Jesus says it could happen, it could happen, I guess, right? But what he's saying is this. If you have faith that can move the mountains you don't have love, you've gained nothing. Now imagine if you move the mountains, you're like, look, what do we gained? This 14,000 foot mountain, I did that. No, you gained nothing. So much is on the line if we do not operate and pursue the giftings if we don't have love. Now I can imagine the people that showed up in the Corinth church on Sunday, they're struggling with love, and if you're struggling with love, guess what it's going to be about? It's all going to be about you. It's not going to be about God. It's not going to be about the church or his people. So I'm sure you had on Sunday morning the, the person who thought they were just the big deal. They get out of their car. They walk into church. They open up the door. The chef's puffed out, puffed out like, all right, I'm the big deal. Church can start now because I've arrived, all right? <laughs> I've arrived. Look, is everybody noticing me right now? Did you notice I was in church last week? Uh, you know, I, I asked around. Anybody ask about me? I'm a big deal, right? And because I'm a big deal, I'm going to show off how I'm gifted. And how I'm gifted, you better watch because I'm a big deal. Yeah, we have that. I'm sure Corinthians, you know, the, the Corinth church had that, right? Another person they had was probably the angry but gifted. 
They come in, they're just mad. Nobody's doing it right. No one's doing it as good as me, right? I, you know what? I, I have some words this morning for all you all, all right? Little do they realize that the words are usually for them and not somebody else. Then you have the insecure. They came into the Corinth church and instead of working their giftings out for the love of others, this person tries to prove their worth by the gifts they have or they want. They are needy. They judge people's intentions and project their insecurities on other people. Listen, church, let's not operate in our giftings this way. And by default, we will operate in our giftings this way. That's why we must lean into the things of God and say, Holy Spirit, will you take over our affections? Will you take over our insecurities? Will you, will you help me in my anger or if I have bitterness? Will you help me to, in my humility that I indeed am not a big deal? If, it, if, if, any, if I owe all this to you. Don't lead in our giftings by the way that we can deduce from the Corinthian church. Rather, we need to serve the church without strings attached. Without love, we see here Paul saying, everyone loses. So we need to eagerly desire the gifts while pursuing them in the love of God. And this is important because here's the deal. Whereas the gifts are a down payment for heaven, okay? The gifts show us that they're given to us to help us stand in the gap until we go to heaven and we walk in perfection, right? The gifts help us in our inadequacies. But here's the deal. When we go to heaven, we won't need the gifts any longer, but what will continue is love. Love will continue. In fact, we see this in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's here now, and it's here. It's going to be in heaven, and to the full extent, we're going to experience that agape love. Now, this passage I just read, love is patient. Love is kind, right? Like, this is her, this is the sine qua non verse at weddings, right? Like people pick, people that don't even go to church or know anything about Jesus, like I want that verse, love is patient, love is kind, right? And, and but here's the deal, this, this passage was not written for weddings. I mean, it's appropriate to read at weddings. I mean, it's, it's about love and, and, and we want agape love in, uh, between uh, the husband and wife, right? Uh, but the thing is, is that this was written in the context of spiritual gifts, Love, agape, as it says in Greek, the agape love, a pure-hearted, God-centered, God-originating love. And it must lead the way in our gifting. You cannot bless someone in your giftedness if you don't treat somebody well. This gift of love, this love passage, is a declaration against our negativity. It is a nuclear bomb against the gossip that comes from our mouths. It is an indictment against our self-centeredness, and it serves as notification that the bitterness in our heart must leave. If the giftedness is going to be impacting, edifying, and building other people up, we are to eagerly pursue the gifts. Love is required. Secondly, we are to eagerly pursue the gifts because ministry is the point. What's the point of the gifts? Ministry is the point. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse one again. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, 
especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. As previously stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and other passages in Scripture, there are a number of spiritual gifts. In fact, we'll put those on the screen right now. Here are just a whole list of spiritual gifts. And we're going to, we don't simply have the time to go through every single gift. And that's why we're recommending uh, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by Sam Storms. You can put that in your Amazon cart and buy that, buy a couple copies, passing around. But here's another deal we're going to give you a chance to do a spiritual gift test that will unpack all those gifts. But the reason why I put those up there right now is that we're going to really land on uh, two gifts because Paul brings them up. And he brings them up because they're misunderstood and they're abused, and that's a gift of prophecy in tongues. But I want you to know that just as important are these other gifts on the screen. And they're more prevalent in some, some senses. And so it's important for me to put that out there. And you may be wondering, why are we talking? About, I want to know about this gift. And here's the deal is that we're going to give you the tools. We're going to give you homework today uh, so that you can pursue these things. And eagerly pursue isn't just a message on a Sunday morning. It's going to be a lifelong pursuit and growing in those giftings. All right. Now, if you were to ask a person from the Church of Corinth what the greatest and best gift was, they would say their personal prayer language of uninterpreted tongues. They thought it was the most important of all gifts. And Paul's going to spend an almost entire chapter, chapter 14, speaking on prophecy in tongues. Not because they were uh, the most important of all the other gifts, or that the other gifts didn't matter. It's because these gifts were most under, misunderstood and in some cases abused than other gifts. And he wanted to correct them. He didn't want to correct them by blowing them out of existence or the church avoiding them. He wants us to properly understand them so that all giftedness can work together. Remember, last week we talked about that, that, that churches need to operate in all different types of giftings. And Paul, in chapter 12, he talks about how uh, the, the, the body of Christ in its giftingness is like the physical body. We need arms, we need eyes, we need ears, right? And oftentimes in the church world, we, we treat the gifts of the Spirit like the game, would you rather? Would you rather have an arm or would you rather have an eye? And, I, and again, I said last week, I hate that game, right? I can't stand that game. Why? Because you always lose. It's not a game of would you rather but do we have it all together? If ministry is the point, that means the gifts are not ultimately for you. I'll say that again. The gifts are not ultimately for you. They are for others. They're to make much of God. And yes, you will enjoy it. But sometimes we get that backwards. Sometimes we pursue and eagerly pursue the spiritual gifts because it is fun. We pursue and eagerly pursue the spiritual gifts because it, it, it's, it's edifying, personally edifying, when God uses us. But that is not ultimately the point. Ultimately, the point is to give all the glory to Jesus and for other people to be built up and blessed through the spiritual giftings. Let's put it this way. I remember going Christmas shopping with my mom once as a kid. And I picked out toys for my brother and sister, and I was super excited to do this because, you know, I went through a phase where I realized if I, and my mom would pay for some of it, you know, if I could go shopping with my mom and help her pick out gifts, I can get presents I can play with too, right? And so you should have seen my sister's face when she opened up thinking she was going to get Malibu Barbie, and she got Michelangelo from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm like, I'll teach you how to play with that one, all right? I was so happy. Why? Because when I went gift shopping, it was for me. 
It wasn't for her. It wasn't for my brother. It was for me. And don't you dare, some of you looking at me with judgmental eyes, you did it too. I know it, right? <laughs> You're still doing it. Some of you, some of you, some of your spouses, especially wives, you're gonna, need to, you're gonna need to put your husband in the doghouse because husbands, you know, you do that sometimes, right? I, I bought, I bought this this uh, Nintendo Switch, and we're gonna enjoy it together. Your wife doesn't want that. Stop it. All right. Well, some of you might, but you get the point. Verse three: the end result of spiritual gifts should be the strengthening of the church to encourage. Console. That is, as a result, people will grow. The church will move the ministry needle forward. Spiritual gifts need to be for the encouragement to keep going every single day. The gifts help people even when they want to give up. They help people excel further. They help people love Jesus even more. We're told to eagerly desire these gifts, but we're, we see here to especially to prophesy. When reading this, you may be like, What's that? Why, why would that be the gift that he wants? What is that? Of all the gifts Paul wants us to take part in, he highlights prophecy. Now, we're gonna spend a couple weeks on how to hear and discern the voice of God. We're gonna get very practical with that. But let me just give you a short treatment. What is prophecy? Prophecy by Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, I'll give you this definition. Prophecy is speaking something that God has brought to mind. Speaking something that God has brought to mine. Now, here's the deal. What I absolutely love about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, this is like the melting pot of church. Like people have so many different diverse backgrounds. And so when we hear of prophecy, when we hear of like when God speaks to us, if you come from a Pentecostal background, you may be like, God gave me revelation. If you come from a charismatic background, you may say, God just spoke to me. And if you came from a Baptist background, you're like, God just laid on my heart, right? Like, we all have different ways of saying it, right, from our tradition, but what we're all saying is God's speaking, right? And what do we do with it? And what Paul is saying is this. When God is speaking, when he's moving, when he's bringing remembrance of Scripture, when he's doing all these different things, he wants to make sure it's for the building up of each other and encouraging each other. So here's some ground rules. When speaking of prophecy, you should never claim the absolute authority of God. All right, a lot of cults have started that way, all right? They're like, God spoke to me, this is what he gave to me, all right? We are going to now write a new Bible, part two. It's like, okay, you are a cult leader now, right? So we don't have the absolute authority of God. Secondly, anything spoken should never contradict scripture, all right? So if I've heard this before, like, you know, I just, I feel like I'm just going to steal something, all right? All right, I'm, I'm just, I feel like God's okay with that. I'm like, no, the Bible doesn't say God's okay with that, but I've heard God's voice. That's not God's voice. Contradicts scripture. Third, it should be gentle and always for the building up of the person. So sometimes people are like, I have the gift of prophecy. I'm like, oh, watch out. That person's gonna blow some people up. You, I have this for you. And the person's like totally shattered after what they say. That's, no, uh, it's to build people up. It's to encourage them, whether it's a really encouraging thing you're gonna say to them, or even if it's a corrective, it still needs to be done in the heart and mercy of humility to build somebody up. You know, you've all heard this before where people try to use the voice of God for their own advantages back in the dating days. You know, like when the guy would say, God told me you and I are gonna get married. And the girl's like, no. He's like, God told me, all right? That's just manipulation at that point. 
right? I mean, I'll give you a personal one. I, I, was, <laughs> I was dating someone in college and like, God just said we need to break up. And I'm just thinking, would you just say you don't like me anymore, all right? Don't give it to God, right? <laughs> That's the whole thing. And sometimes we place things that God said and he didn't say it because we just don't want to say it, right? Or we take our words and we make them into God's words and that's a big deal, that's a big problem. Don't be manipulative with them. We want to make sure that when God's speaking, we do it in humility and we do it to where if it's going to be wrong, we are the wrong ones because God's never wrong. Now, prophecy, we should not be confused with what we, what we think of the Old Testament prophet or the New Testament apostle who had the divine authority to write scripture. Nobody should be writing more scripture, okay? All right, no one should be doing that, all right? That's, that's, that's cult territory, all right? But rather, New Testament, the New Testament gift of prophecy, what we see here, they take three major forms. Uh, number one is speaking the word of God. So right now, in a generic sense, I am speaking prophecy. I'm, I'm speaking of the prophetic words that we have from scripture, all right, But in a general sense, an everyday sense, oftentimes the Spirit of God will bring remembrance of Scripture and he will bring it in the right timing to where if you heard that Scripture prior, it would be good, but in this right timing, it's, it's impacting and maybe even life-changing. Does that make sense? Or maybe God will give you a Scripture for the moment and you're sharing it with somebody and it's in that indirect divine moment that you share that Scripture that that person is absolutely blessed and brings clarity for that moment. So that is prophecy and speaking the word of God. And then you have prophecy of wisdom. This is where God gives you insight into a situation that you wouldn't normally have. When we pray for wisdom, what you really are asking for is God to prophetically make you see something that you wouldn't be able to see in your natural. And then finally, there is the, uh, the prophecy of knowledge. This is God giving you a specific information that you wouldn't otherwise have. I love the example of the old British pastor, Charles Spurgeon. He was once preaching and God just kind of downloaded something to his mind and he just goes, you, you stole those gloves you're wearing from your employer. And then guy's face just went completely ghostly white, came up to him afterwards and goes, how'd you know that? Because I don't know, it just kind of came over me, but I felt like it's from the Lord. And he's like, I did steal these gloves, right? After reading that, I'm like, I'm gonna try that. So, okay, you ready? All right, I'm gonna try that. I'm just kidding, all right? I'm not gonna do that, all right? But the thing is, is that sometimes uh, you may not have even noticed that God's done this, but there may be times where God places someone on your heart or God, and it's in that moment when you say, hey, I've been praying for you. Oh my goodness, I can't believe that you're praying for me. And again, this is just God actively working through your heart. He's active. He wants to interact with your prayer life. He wants to interact with your scripture reading. He wants to interact with you to be his hands and feet when people most need it. First Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21 says, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Now, Paul had to tell the Thessalonian church this because I imagine they heard abuses where people are like, thus saith the Lord. Oh, that wasn't the Lord, right? And so what people typically do when they see abuses or, they, or people have made mistakes is they begin to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But what's really important here, what Paul's telling us, is don't, dis, don't dis, uh, despise prophecies, but test all things. What he means by test all things is test all things through the word of God. And if you're so confused, go to a spiritual leader or, 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 you know, pray about it, okay? But make sure it never contradicts scripture. Test all things, hold on to what is good. So that we are to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that we prophesy. But we noticed he mentioned that there were a number of other, this other gift that was very prevalent. It's one that the Corinthian church thought was the most important, and it's the gift of tongues, so we see the word tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And tongues is such an odd word, you know? I remember when I heard about it, I'm like, tongue? <laughs> right? Like, it's an odd word, but it comes from the Greek word uh, glossa, 
which can be translated for actually the physical tongue, but it can also uh, be translated into modern English as language, all right? So that's something that's not as super scary or super mystical uh, is the gift of speaking in languages. Specifically, uh, Wayne Grudem defines in systematic theology. Again, if, I haven't, if you haven't bought that book yet by this point, you need to buy it, all right? But prayer or praise in syllables not understood by the speaker. So this isn't just speaking. It's speaking a language you wouldn't otherwise know. And so tongues has a, I'm just going to talk about the three full purpose of it this morning. Uh, tongues has a, a purpose to be assigned to build up the church and for personal evocation. So the first thing that we see here is, I want to talk about is a sign. Tongues serves as a sign that the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, speaking in tongues is unique to the New Testament church. Uh, in, in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 10, the entire world spoke the same language. There was no foreign languages. Then in Genesis chapter 11, we have this episode called the Tower of Babel. If you grew up in the Sunday school world as a kid, you probably remember all these people are like building this tower. God's like, don't build a tower. No, God, we're going to build it to the heavens, right? And God's like, I'm tearing the tower down and I'm dispersing you and I'm going to confuse your languages. Well, that's what happened. God confused the languages. He dispersed people. Their, their languages uh, were, were pulled apart and they couldn't understand each other. And he did that because in our heart, our rebellion is always going to be that we want to be God. We want to create our own things and we want to redefine things to our own liking. God, we don't need you. Boy, do we see that in our culture today, right? Don't be, don't be surprised if you see another little babble moment happen, all right? Where God has to say, you know what? You think you're building something in your own image. You think that you can redefine all these terms. You think you can say who you want to be despite who I say you are. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to put an end to that. Don't be surprised. And this is precisely what he did in Genesis chapter 11. Or Genesis chapter 11. He dispersed the whole world. And from that point forward all the way into this day, we have many different languages around the world. But there's going to be a moment when all the languages We'll be together again. And we see this in the last book of the Bible. So the first book of the Bible, languages are dispersed. Last book of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation, we see the languages are all brought back together. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the lamb. Now, this is what's beautiful about this. I've blown through this before and not really caught this, but we see here that every tribe, nation, people, and language, right there, there it is, language, are in heaven saying together, salvation belongs to our God. Now, whether they are speaking all different languages and they can understand them, or they're all speaking the same heavenly language, I don't know. But what I do know is this, is that the languages have been reunified. Now, this is where tongues comes in. Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church. We see that the very first manifestation of the Spirit that came upon the people was the speaking of foreign languages. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. And it served as a sign that a down payment of what you're going to experience in the heavenly has happened. And that's what spiritual gifts are. They stand in the gap until we stand in the fullness of who God is in heaven. It's a sign Secondly, it's to build up. So when we see tongues in scripture, they're always building up the church. First Corinthians chapter 14, 
45, the person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. So in the church of Corinth, they were speaking in uninterpreted tongues and they were building themselves up. They were self-edified. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Why is that? Because the one who is prophesying, that means whether they're sharing a scripture, they're sharing wisdom, they're sharing knowledge, people are understanding what they're saying and everybody is being built up together. I wish you all spoke in tongues, verse five, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. Again, Paul is pointing out the purpose of tongues or any gift for that matter is to build up people in the church to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Whether you are being hospitable, whether you're teaching, uh, whether you're showing mercy, whether you are interceding, no matter what you are doing in that spiritual giftedness, it is to build another person up in the church. And this was the major problem in Corinth. They, they treated church like it was just for them. Coming to church, can't wait to get what I'm going to get out of church today. And if I don't get some out of church today, I'm going to complain about it, right? Because I need filled up. It's about me. It's about consuming content. It, you know what the Church of Corinth was doing? They were treating church like first century podcasts, right? Wish we could put the pastor on double speed so I can get this done quicker. I can go home and I got my content. Listen, church is not a transactionary moment where we get transactions and we don't get the transactions, we're mad. Well, instead of church being about me, it's about we. And it's about what can we contribute to each other? 1 Corinthians 14, 6 says, So now, my brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether a flute or a harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how would it played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if a bugle makes an unclear sound, how will they prepare for battle? I mean, this is what he's saying here is this, whether it's tongues or prophecy, anything, if you're doing it for yourself and everybody's doing everything for themselves, there's not gonna be unity in the church and it's gonna be mass chaos. And what Paul is demonstrating here is like, hey, have you ever been to a concert and, and the instruments were just off? It sounded awful. In fact, I wanna demonstrate it, all right? I'm gonna praise team, are you back there? Oh, there they are. You brought my trombone, all right. So, all right. We're going to demonstrate this, all right? So what he's saying is, if you want to come to the church, if you want to make it a transactionary moment, if you want to make it all about me, 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 and I'm going to do my giftings for me, this is what it's going to look like to the kingdom of God. All right, how is that worship? Should that, should we, that, that, so that's, that's what we should do, right? Right, how many of you would skip worship if that's what it sounded like every week? Be honest, right? Oh, you guys are too nice, you guys are too nice. Did that sound good? Please be honest, Was that, did that sound good? No, it sounded, Armand, oh, you, you, you're tone deaf, all right? So, <laughs> but when the notes, when the giftings work together, 
This is what it sounds like in the kingdom of God. Much better, isn't it? You know what? I have more to preach, but let's just stand and let's worship, actually. Is that cool? Can we do that? Let's stand and worship, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get back to the rest of the sermon. I, do, I, feel like, I feel like this is beckoning worship. When we worship together, when we work in the giftings together, it's beautiful. There's a table. There's a table that you prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. It's your body and your blood you shed for me. This is how I fight my When our giftedness is used for the glory of God and building up each other, 
and not just for ourselves, but the betterment of the community. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? This is how we fight our battles. Amen, church? Amen, church. Let's just give God a thank you that he's fighting on our behalf. You guys can take a seat. You guys can take a seat. Verse 9. In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how what is being spoken be known, for you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. And this is key because whether tongues or any gift in the church, it means that we need to be edifying one another, not seeking out just to edify ourselves. And this is what's at risk. When we are not out for the edification of the church, Paul says there's a lot riding on this. It's not just that, oh, that sounded kind of <clears throat> bad, all right? What's going on here? He, this is what he says. This is what's on, line, on the line here. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23. If, therefore, the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders, unbelievers, come in, will they not say that you're out of your minds? You see, the Corinthian church was pursuing gifts for themselves, and I don't think it was just tongues, it was everything else, that they were doing it for themselves, and people were coming into the church and like, what is going on here? Now listen, don't mishear me. Uh, this verse isn't, it can be abused sometimes and say, you know what, we just need to be super relevant and we need to get rid of all Bible words. We need to you know, talk, not talk about the cross of Jesus because it, it could make people think we're weird. Listen, we are following a Messiah who died on the cross for the sins of the world, who rose from the dead. Jesus said, people are going to hate you for it. You're not gonna be the coolest person on the block if you're gonna follow Jesus for it. But listen, the payoff is huge, right, church? And listen, relevant church, you need to be relevant in the sense that people understand what you're saying, but to be relevant so people think that you're cool pastor or cool church congregants, that needs to die, all right? Ooh, pin drop moment. Do you agree, church? Because listen, the relevance is Jesus. And when someone's coming in, the important thing for gifts to work together, that gifts are, are building up the church, isn't so that they're like, oh, you guys aren't cool, you guys are weird. It's not, that's, not, that's not the point. We don't want, if you're here for the first time here at Emmanuel, we don't want you to feel like that you're on the side, the peripheral of the party, and you can never be brought in. We don't want you to say, you gotta learn the secret code language, you gotta learn the secret handshake, and then you know maybe that you're in. Listen, we constantly want to be aware of the outsider, aware of somebody who's giving church their one last shot so we can invite them in to the party. Amen, church? The Corinthian church was pursuing the gifts for their personal edification, and as a result, they stopped caring about, especially assimilating non-believers uh, into what is going on and what is happening. And again, this isn't about being ashamed, not at all. It's about assimilating. It's about assimilating. Now, here's the deal. Supernatural spiritual gifts get a bad rap, and again, the misuse should not uh, discourage Proper use, but Paul's conclusion is this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, yet in the church I'd rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, what he's not saying is, in fact, he says at the very last sentence of chapter 14, he says, do not forbid the speaking of tongues. Okay? But what he's saying is, you need to use them properly. And what people were doing in the Corinthian church was, 
This is the best gift and I'm doing it for me. He's like, stop. Build people up. Build people up. Now, again, there's other gifts, too, and the reason why, again, that he's speaking on these two gifts is because, again, they were the most misunderstood or most abused, uh, but there's other gifts, serving, hospitality, mercy, giving, leadership, faith, being an evangelist. These gifts are just as important, and Paul spends uh, a little bit of time. Sometimes he just mentions a word, and that's all we have on it, but again, we need the arms, legs, feet, eyes for the body to be healthy and to move the ministry forward. We need to eagerly pursue the gifts. Love is required. Number two, ministry is the point. Number three, there is a method to the madness. There is a method to the madness. The Bible does not, own, does not provide a template of how we should do service. There's freedom in that. Did you know that? There's freedom. Um, if there wasn't freedom, then what we just did there, doing a song in the middle of the sermon, would have been sin. But guess what? There's freedom in doing that, so it's not sin, right? We can do that. But we are given principles that we need to follow. So there's a method to madness. Number one we're going to see here is that we all get to participate. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. Boy, he wants us to not miss that. It's to build up. When we come together, it is not to watch a show. Uh, it's not to just get something personal out of it. It's not to watch professionals uh, or super saints. In the New Testament church, we all get to play whether it's serving the foyer, whether it's early childhood, whether it's worship, whether it's praying, or it's in the service. We need everybody to be ready to serve one another and to move ministry forward, giving maximum glory to God each and every week. We all get to participate. Secondly, it's subject to God's order. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, there would only be two or at most three each in turn and then let someone interpret. But if there's no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. So what he's saying is if there's no interpreter, uh, you need to keep it to your, yourself uh, when you're in the church. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and the other one should evaluate. But if someone has been revealed to another person sitting there, the prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone can learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets. What's, what we're seeing here is not over, don't overdo it and make sure it's done in order that people can receive and be built up in it. I've been in services where people will, will begin to witness or begin to share things that God's put in their heart and it's like 15, 20 people deep. And by the time it's, I'm on the you know, fourth person or fifth person, my head's swimming. I'm like, I can't even remember where my keys are in the morning, let alone what did the first person just say, right? And that's, I think it's a practical thing. If we're gonna have something to share something in the service, uh, we're not gonna have 13 people deep after the service share different things because we're not gonna know or we're not gonna remember. So two to three at most. Two to three at most. Verse 32, all this activity is subject to those in leadership. So sometimes you'll notice that there'll be people that'll come up here during a service and they'll read a, they'll, they'll read a passage or, or they'll share something that God's laid on their heart. And what they've done is that wasn't necessarily planned. Sometimes, sometimes it is, but most times it's not. You may see people come up here and say, hey, I have a verse. Is this fit in this moment? I believe that God has you know, laid this on my heart for this moment. And it, it's something that we weigh right there in the moment. And so what we just want to tell you is that if God's laying something on you in that moment, see Tom or myself or one of our elders and, and we'll weigh it. And many times we'll say no. Sometimes it's for you and sometimes it's like this is for the moment, okay? And that's what we see here in scripture. We see here that it's subject to those who are in leadership. There's an order to it. 
One more thing before we land the plane this morning. Very important thing. Some of you are like, wait a minute. How do I know what gift I have? Some of you are like, I have no clue what gift I have. Is that you? Like, just, just raise your hand. I'm like, I'm kind of confused what gifts I have in my life, right? Okay, all right, good, right? Because here's the deal. We're gonna talk about what to do. And by the way, if you think that you know your spiritual giftedness, eagerly pursue, eagerly desire, that is something that is lifelong, so keep going at it. Here are some practical steps to eagerly desire. Number one is pray. Pray. Look through those gift lists and say, God, I wanna pray over the, God, speak to me. God, help me understand, Pray. Number two is take a spiritual gift test. I have a, a website up there on. <clears throat> and by the way, can I say something about spiritual gift test? They're not all that helpful. <laughs> Why would I put that up there? It's because, well, they're good to take, but they're ultimately not all that helpful. Because listen, whether it be the disc test or whether it be, um, whether it be uh, oh, the Enneagram, uh, some of you are like, oh, I love that, right? Here's the deal. We know how to like take those tests and get what we want. Okay, can we just be honest about that, right? Same as spiritual gift tests. Well, I, I want to be hospitable. You'll make sure, oh, that's a hospitality one. 10, right? But the thing is, is the reason why I still think that they are helpful at least take you once is it lets you see definitions and work through all the different giftings, okay? But I, I kind of rank, that's kind of the lowest on the poll, right? Because the best thing is, if you're married, have your spouse take the spiritual gifts test for you, <laughs> Or ask other people, say, hey, you, you, what do you see? What have you seen? Another thing is, as you're praying, you need to try it. You know, like, here's the deal. I, I didn't just preach a sermon one day. Uh, I had to learn the, the, how to properly expound God's word. And I had, to, I, I had to get up there and preach. And my first sermon was rough, right? Then you practice it. You practice. In fact, Paul tells his apprentice Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of, hand, laying of my hands. He's saying you need to fan in the flame. If you're like, yeah, you know, I just, if I just spoke, you know, uh, right now and then I didn't speak for another two years, I'd be rusty that in two years, right? Fan into flame the gift. So this is what we're gonna do right now. We're going to worship, we're gonna, we're gonna respond. But I want us to just pray. This is really simple this morning. I, just, I was just kind of racking my brains like, God, what do, you, what do you want us to do this morning? And it's like, I, want, I believe God wants us to go before him and say, God, help me eagerly desire the spiritual gifts of life. Help me not be complacent with these things. Help me lean in and say, God, how have you equipped me? God, where do you want to equip me where I'm dormant? Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information on Emmanuel, check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you connected with us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Kenosha.Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way you never have to miss an episode and it helps us out greatly. At Emmanuel, we are not a perfect people, but a people being made new. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.